Now, I entitled today's message as we are in part two of our Daniel series called Dare to be Different. I entitled today's message, Power Evangelism. Power Evangelism. I'll explain what that means in a moment, but I'm about to get a little weird. I'm going to share some stuff here in the intro of my message that probably should be a message in and of itself. As I go through it, you're going to consistently ask the question, where are you going with this? You will ask the question, what does this have to do with me, and what the heck are you talking about? Now, I understand that, however, it is going to loop in in a very significant way, so once again, I know it's early, but that's why we provide coffee. <laughs> then I need you to be as sharp as you can to try to track with me, because it's a little bit complicated. But I think it's very important. And it begins with writing down one line. I need you to write down this line if you're a note taker. The supernatural is more real than the natural. The supernatural is more real than the natural. I'm going to make that argument. And by the end of it, I would hope that you not only agree with me, but that you believe it is most common response. So here we go. God existed before anything, is that correct? Yes. yes, all right. That means he is the standard of all that is life and all that we call reality, right? That anything additional to God is less real, less original, because he is the original, right? Therefore, he's the most real. God is fully spirit, is in full existence. He was never bored. He was never lonely. He was never lacking anything ever. He was in absolute fullness. He has always existed, and he lives in a reality with no beginning, no ending, no time, no before, no middle, no after. He dwells in a reality where one being can exist at least in three persons. We call them Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He lives in a fullness of all that is good. Joy, love, peace. There is no hurt, there is no pain. There is nothing but ultimate beauty and freedom. And then he decided to create a race of beings. We call them angels, right? And when he created them, that realm was a different level of reality. It was more finite. It was more concrete. It was more tangible. Now they had a beginning, but they had no end. But they were more limited. We describe the dimension in which they live because he built them a realm to exist in because they can't handle his realm. He created a dimension for them, and in that dimension we use phrases like heaven and hell, which actually are descriptions of more of God's presence and less of God's presence. That's what they are. Now, 
They initially lived in a place with God of beauty and joy and expressions of his perfect reality. But then some chose to rebel. They chose to make themselves their own king. And their reality was then schismed. And they began to have what was called loss, rejection, kicking out of the presence of God. Good was diminished and freedom was partly bound. But then God decided to create another race of beings, us, right? Right in the middle of those two dimensions, he placed a third dimension, which is what we see, what we touch, what we taste. Here, our dimension, where we are being, is even more limited. It's a further step to the tangible and the concrete. We had and have tangible beginnings and we have tangible ends. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, angels and demons are so advanced, they can interact with our dimension, but we cannot go that route around. When we sought in the Garden of Eden to make ourselves our own king, we then ran into a significant problem. We rebelled against God and our reality began to shrink. Our reality began to decay. Our reality began to fall apart. We began to what's called die. Death fa faced us every moment of our existence and it never had before. And we were less and less real and our lifetimes got shorter and shorter. All right, so you tell me, what's more real, where God lives or where we live? This is very important for us to understand because of my next major statement I'm gonna have you write down. But I need you to be convinced that we have gone from the real to the less real. We have gone to the infinite to the finite. Because some of us have bought into this system that what you can see around you is all there is. That is absolutely not the case. We have far too much evidence that there are things beyond us that we can't even comprehend. If that's the case, they are more real than what we're dealing with right now. Hmm. So here's my next major statement. Write this down. We are supernatural beings. And when I say we, I mean Christians. We are supernatural beings. There's no such thing as a natural Christian. That's not a thing, right? Because becoming a Christian and operating as a Christian does not work with fallen humanity. It's not a thing. You can't be a natural Christian. Just to begin the process, just to inaugurate what's going on, the Bible says that we have to go through a metamorphosis, a transformation where it's described as a process of dying and being born again into a new creation. It is not natural. You can't find your way there. You're not going to stumble your way there. Either God does it 
or it doesn't happen. It is a whole new quality of being. The light turns on inside and we become spiritually alive for the first time. But here's what's amazing about that. When we had Jesus die for our sins and we were able to be made alive, we became multi-dimensional beings. We now interact not just in the tangible, but we now interact with the supernatural. And that's very powerful. The Holy Spirit dwells within Christians, yes? All Christians have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The only reason he can be there is because Jesus carved out a place where he could be because of his death on the cross. But because he lives within us, that means that we are constantly walking in and with the presence of all deity. That is a multi-dimensional reality. But there's more. We are children of God, yes? yes? And if we are children of God, then follow this. In the Garden of Eden when we were created, and I mean Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were given a job to do, and it was to subdue or shape this earth. That was one of their jobs. And in order to do that, they were given what the Bible calls dominion. Dominion means the ability to bend the reality into shape, into that which is more orderly or more beautiful. But then when we fell, do you remember what happened? We were cursed. That curse on Adam as our representative said, hey, you used to work with a garden and it worked with you. Your work was fulfilling. Everything you did, you were like, check this out. Look at what I can do. Man, this is easy. Wow, this is amazing. It's like the dream of every gardener in here. But after the curse, God said, now creation's going to press back. Now there's thorns and thistles and hard dirt and problems. Now, whenever you try to shape, it's going to resist. So the world we see now, we are kind of in control of. We have partial dominion. But then Jesus came, and we started seeing a whole new reality. Do you remember this? It was in the nighttime. The disciples were rowing, and they weren't getting very far. And out walks Jesus on the water. How exactly do you walk on water? I would suggest to you that the liquid would have to be transferred under your feet into something solid, or your body needs to be transferred to something lighter than water. Is this, I'm not real scientific, are we all tracking? <laughs> right? What was the point? Jesus said, I have dominion here. I don't have the curse on me. And I can shape whatever is going on into this world into something beautiful, into any manner that I need it to be if my Father directs by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
interesting about that because the other thing he bought when he died on the cross for our sins was a family. And being children of God means that we begin to operate in his power and authority. And here's what's weird about his power and authority. It extends beyond this dimension. All of a sudden, as a Christian, as a supernatural being, we now have dominion over the spiritual. Jesus demonstrated that by walking in and seeing a mute, demon-possessed man. Now, you have to understand, in the ancient Jewish viewpoint, you had to confess something to get a demon out. The purpose of telling that it was mute was that that guy was stuck forever. There was no way for him to confess it out. And Jesus said, why do I got to worry about that? Get out. And the demon was gone. We are partakers of that divine nature. What I'm trying to tell you is that you are far more complex than you think you are. And if we are going to be in the year of becoming, we need to become all that God made us to be. And that means daring to be different means living in a supernatural reality. Amen? Amen. All right. We got out of the the creepy, weird stuff, right? And we can now get into the book of Daniel. All those that fell asleep, you can wake back up. We're good. You're still safe. That Christian reality that we were given was meant to be utilized, thus the fill in the blank on that app, if you want to write this down. Our heavenly nature is of earthly importance. Our heavenly nature is of earthly importance. What happened to us vertically should impact how we operate horizontally. It is not just something to be considered. It is not just something to think about. It is something to activate. It is something to put into motion. So I'm going to be challenging you throughout this message that we might need to operate in the supernatural every day. That's where we're getting into. All right, let's do this. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. We've been studying the life of Daniel, a Jewish man who lived 2,600 years ago because he had this incredible connection to God. He was highly gifted, but he operated in a supernatural capacity. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. He lived very different than everyone around him. What can we learn from his lifestyle? What can we learn from his perspective that we might be more of what God designed? That's why we're doing this, all right? So last time we were together, we found out these young boys, 13, 14, 15, were captured as slaves, as Jewish slaves, and brought to a new empire called the Babylonian Empire. They were then told they would be instructed for three years into Babylonian culture and that they would then work directly for the king. Well, that is where we pick up our story right now. All right, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. By the way, for uh, our signing group, that would be you, Nebuchadnezzar is going to merely be Chad. All right? 
Because I gotta say it over and over, we're not doing that. Right? Chad, right? Okay, there we go, here we go. In the second year of the reign of Chad, Chad had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the wisest advisors of the kingdom be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And he said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the wise men said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the wise man, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. That kind of escalated quickly, did it not? <laughs> kind of all or nothing. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. Go to verse 10. The wise men answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. No great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing from any wise man. The thing the king asks is too difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and furious and commanded that all wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Woo! That is a rough day. Yeah? Kill order. Launched out. All of them die. That means Daniel and his friends are going to be murdered. Well, he's freaking out about this, right? And rightfully so. What a horrific circumstance. Hmm. This all started because Chad had a bad dream. <laughs> right? Why did he have bad dreams? Who gave him bad dreams? God. But they were bad dreams. Why would God give him bad dreams? I thought bad and God didn't get connected. Uh, I'm not so sure that our definition of bad and God's definition of bad are the same. Here's why this matters. Whenever something bad happens to us, we assume God is out of control. But what if he's actually controlling the very event that you think he doesn't have control over? What if bad things happening create opportunity for him to move? Is that possible? Mm. We just went through a rather significantly bad year last year. And what I saw was an awful lot of panic that God was out of control. 
Because God's so good at his job, we will never know whether or not God started or worked with COVID-19. But I can tell you this, he was in it the entire time. And when we, yeah, amen, praise God, right? And when we look at it, here's what we are assured of. Instead of worrying about what can happen, we should have started looking for opportunity. Because I'm gonna tell you, he's not gonna waste a good pandemic. God never wastes a heart. Amen. Daring to be different means discerning divine appointments. Do you guys know what divine appointments means? It means that God supernaturally connects two people. Do you think he does that? I think he does it all the time. Let me give you a biblical story in Acts chapter eight. There's a man named Philip, and one day an angel comes to him. We don't know in what form. And he tells him, I want you to go down to this wilderness area and hang out by the side of the road. That seems so random. So Philip goes down there, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, look over there. There's a chariot parked on the other side. He's like, wow, that's weird. Go stand next to it. Okay, now I just want all of us to think about the reality of the situation. That's some dude's car. Why are you gonna go just stand awkwardly by the guy's car? Because he's super rich and you just look like, dude, why are you just hanging out next to him? Do you gotta go, I, I saw my cat here earlier, I think he may have crawled under your tire, like, why are you there? So Philip's kind of like, hey, just hanging around, because he didn't get any instructions. Then all of a sudden he notices the guy who's reading aloud for whatever reason, he's reading the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he's reading a special portion. So Philip goes, I think this is my opportunity. Hey, do you know what you're reading? The guy's like, actually, I don't. Why, do you know something about this stuff? He's like, you know, matter of fact, I do. And he goes, well, come on up. And he joins him in his car, and they get into a conversation and take a little ride together. By the time Philip's done explaining the gospel in the Old Testament, this guy wants to get baptized, and he ends up getting saved. That's called a divine appointment. I just want you to understand how awkwardly it started. Because we assume that if we're gonna have a divine appointment, it's going to be flashy and it's going to be super important, right? Is it possible that God sets divine appointment through difficulty? Usually looks like this. Been next to this guy as my neighbor, let's say, for eight years. Never really talked to him. But then one day, we noticed that he comes out and he looks super upset. So as a nice person, we say, hey, you doing okay today? He says, you know what, actually no, I just got fired and I'm going to pick up my last check. So actually no, I'm not doing really good. And you then react and say, dude, I'm so sorry, I'll pray for you. And it stops him for a moment, he says, I'm sorry, you're gonna what? Well, I'm gonna pray for you. Okay. You do that. You're a church person, yes? Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. 
and he's gone. Here's what's fascinating about that divine appointment. You think nothing happened, but that guy, Jim, he has to think about it all the way to his work. Why? Because he has only a couple options. Either his neighbor is a loony, possible. Either his neighbor is just a religious fanatic or the neighbor knows something he doesn't. He doesn't know, but now he has to think about it. You see, those seeds begin to build because the next time that neighbor has a difficult time and wants to know whether or not there's meaning in it, he only has one person he can ask, and that's you. Is it possible that Chad had bad dreams to get him and Daniel together. I think so. Pick it up in verse 14. Now, he wants to kill everybody. It's a bad start. Then Daniel, likely 17 to 18 years old, replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. That's the captain who's supposed to kill everybody. Let me paraphrase how it goes. Arioch, what's going on? Well, I'm here to kill everyone. Okay, why? Well, there's a dream thing. And he explains it to him. And Daniel's like, hold up. Before you kill me, can I get a shot at this? Like, I'm really good with dreams. And I happen to know somebody that's really good at dreams. So if you can buy me some time, I got to go check in with my friends and we'll get back to you right away. Thankfully, the guy says, Okay, so Daniel calls up his three friends and they get into a prayer meeting. Why? Because the answer is always going to be God. So how do you talk to God? You pray. So they get into an intense prayer meeting and they start praying and praying and praying and boom, they get the answer. At least they think they do. Now it'd be really awkward if they're like, you dreamed of Snoopy and he's like, no. You're like, ah, I thought I had that one, right? They get an answer. You see, this world is limited on how much it can know. God doesn't have those limitations. Do you realize that we have access to somebody that goes beyond that wherever the world ends in its wisdom, God just begins? You understand that living a supernatural reality means that you have access to things beyond this life? Here's the other thing. The reason why we're doing the prayer prompts, the texting thing, is because we know that to live a supernatural life means you have to remain connected to God at all times. And the way to do that is to pray. So we're using every excuse we can for us to pray, but not pray by ourselves. What's more fun than praying alone? Praying with people. Why did Daniel not just handle it himself? Because he's smart enough to know when you get a bunch of Christians praying together, God comes through clearer. So he got his three friends together. Have you ever been in a prayer group? When you're in a prayer group, see, here's what happens when you pray by yourself. You start out really strong. God, I got a bunch of stuff. Three minutes later, you're out. 
So uh, I guess, well, I don't, I don't really have anything else. So uh, signing off now. When you're in a group, somebody else all of a sudden gets this wild hair and they start going off and they're praying and you're like, ooh, that totally reminds me of something else. And then you start praying and then someone else starts firing a revelation. Then someone else comes in with power and then someone else has faith you don't even have. And it's like a big bonfire of prayer and an hour goes by and you're like, whoa, I never pray this long. It's really important we pray together. I think a lot of us pray a ton by ourselves. It might be neat to pray in a group. It's more powerful. And then when they get the answer, Daniel goes into this, God, you're so wise. God, you're so mighty. I thank you for giving me this answer. You didn't have to do that. Lord, you are extraordinary. You are amazing. You are the one in control of times and seasons. You're the one that orchestrates rulers and sets up kings and tears down kings. God, you are so good. And then Daniel goes into Arioch and says, I need a meeting with the king. We have an answer for you. He's like, all right. And he introduces to the king a slave by the name of Daniel. We pick that up in verse 26. And the king asks, go to the quotation, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Chad what will be in the later days. Verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. What did he say? I got an answer for you. You do? Yeah, but before I tell it to you, I need something to be real clear. I was never going to come up with it. I don't have that info. God does, and I happen to be connected to him, but let's make no mistake, I'm not the guy. God's the one. This is so important because daring to be different means pointing to God continually. Daring to be different means pointing to God continually. It would have been much more easy for Daniel to go, I got the answer, let's roll. It's this. And then the king would have been like, you're amazing. And unfortunately, that's where most of us stop. Somebody goes, I don't understand how you did that job at work when you handled that contract. You did it unlike anyone I've ever seen. And you usually go, yeah, I did. Thanks. As opposed to going, you know what? To be honest with you, that one was over my head. But the more I was looking at it, I started praying about it, and I feel like God helped me out on that one. That's it, right? Because you're pointing them. You're a road sign. Keep pointing, keep pointing, keep pointing. There's something more going on, right? It's God who delivers. It's God who gets the credit. It's God who's amazing in this story. So I would suggest, because I know this congregation pretty well, I know how you guys interact. I know your generosity. I would suggest to you that most of you in your head 
every day are going, wow, God, that was impressive. I think you already have that heart. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I need you to go public with it. I need you to actually go verbal with it. Because everything you think is beautiful between you and God, but it doesn't tell anybody else what's going on. I need you to start saying things out loud that God is good. And you go, well, those people don't want to hear it. Maybe. Not yet. But it goes something like this. Man, I can't believe it. I was at church the other day. Yeah? Yeah, and this lady got healed. Yes, really? Yeah, no, 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 she got healed. Okay. No, like, like, her, like her back was, was messed up and she got healed. Okay, yeah, you said that three times. Okay, well, I just need you to know. I think that's amazing. Don't you think that's amazing? Yeah, I think it's weird. Okay. Once again, nobody got saved from that conversation, but God got glory. And I'll tell you what, when that person's hurting, guess what they're going to think of? There is a God in heaven who knows how to do something about it. It's powerful. Pick it up in verse 31. King, here's what you saw. You saw a statue. This image was mighty and of exceeding brightness. And it stood before you and its appearance was frightening. Let me paraphrase. You saw a statue, the head was gold. The chest and arms were silver. The middle and thighs were bronze. The legs were iron. And the feet were partly iron and partly clay. And then this rock shows up out of nowhere, wasn't carved out by any human being, and it flies in and strikes the base of the statue, knocks the whole thing over. It breaks apart so hard that it grinds it down into fine dust, and the dust blows away in the wind. Then this rock starts growing bigger and bigger, and it becomes this massive mountain and fills the entire earth. That's what you saw, right? you got to imagine that king's face. Nope, I dreamt of Snoopy. <laughs> I knew it. Verse 36, that was a dream. Now let me tell you what it means. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. That's your empire. There will come many more in the future empires, but they will be inferior to yours. There's a fourth one that I need to highlight because it's particularly brutal. It's going to be the biggest and it's going to crush everybody. And then ultimately, during the time of the end, there's going to come one from heaven who's going to set up a kingdom that will never end and it will dominate all the earth. You see, King, you saw the future. That's got to be incredible, yes? Do you guys know what those kingdoms are? Because history is pretty clear. You see, it starts out, and it's a Neo-Babylonian empire started by King Chad. That's the gold. And then after that, in Daniel's lifetime, there's a switch of empires. The Medo-Persian empire takes over. Right? That's the chest and the arms of silver. But then what was the next empire after the Medo-Persians? A guy by the name of Alexander the Great marched into town. And he brought with him the Greek Empire. What followed the Greek Empire? 
the Roman Empire. That was that fourth one, the one that was the biggest. It ends up lasting for almost 500 years. And it crushed the entire world and brought it under its power. And then trying to figure out what the feet are is a little complicated. You got two options. There's no question it's partly Roman because it is partly iron and partly clay. So it's unstable. Is it possible that the 10 toes of the statue represent a federation of Roman leadership? Now, which federation depends on your choice? Either it was when Jesus first came and set up a spiritual kingdom and that began to expand to where it's going to take over all things. Are we talking about the first coming of Christ? Or are we talking about when he comes back? Because when he comes back, is there going to be a resurgence of Roman element that will create a federation and it will institute the Antichrist and Jesus will come in and shatter the entire system, take down all empires of the past and set up one that is new heavens and new earth. Amen? Why would God tell Daniel all this? Why, why would Daniel think he could ask God for it? Because daring to be different means living out kingdom reality. What's kingdom reality? It's living with a constant realization that God is always in control. It's living with the awareness that God is moving in our midst. It's living with the expectation that the Holy Spirit is actively engaging with us. It's living with a knowledge of our Christian identity. And it's living with a supernatural perspective and a spiritual lens. This matters a lot. Why? Look at how this story wraps. Verse 46. Then King Chad fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. What was the response? It was revival. But because we're dealing with a pagan population, it was only temporary. You're going to find out that King Chad is a little flaky. It's kind of all over the map. But here's what's interesting. When you live a supernatural reality, you're going to see people react to it. And sometimes it's revival. But I need to caution you that sometimes revival is temporary. After 9-11, when the whole nation got shook, the churches were full. They are not anymore. Why? Because whether or not somebody sticks with it has to do with a true change of the heart. If you minister to your neighbor 
and they get fired up and then they fall away, that's not on you. You're just being faithful. Your job is to sow the seeds. Whether or not that seed grows is in God's hands, not yours, right? Daring to be different means living a supernatural reality. And I want to finish our final moments by talking about power evangelism. Evangelism means sharing the gospel with someone that does not know it. What leads to being able to share the gospel? A movement of power. Here's what it means practically. God uses a miracle to get an invitation to tell them about Jesus. This is a type of evangelism every Christian should be operating in on a consistent basis. What do I mean? Well, I mean that in the Bible, it's kind of like this. Jesus was trying to get the disciples to believe he was the Messiah. And they were kind of iffy on the whole thing. So one day, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a mighty storm hits. And it starts freaking them all out. Jesus stands up in the boat and says, shut it down. And instantly, all of creation was like, sorry. The wind dies down, the waves die down. That's a miracle. And all of the disciples said, you're the guy. Do you remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers? You know what he told them to do? Go to the priests. Why? Because when the priest watches 10 people come in that used to have leprosy and they don't anymore, they have to ask the question, is the Messiah in town? When Pastor Judah told us the story of the woman at the well. Do you remember why she went and told her whole town about him? She said, come see the man that told me everything in my life. What is she referring to? The miracle where he said, why don't you go get your husband? She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five. The one you have right now isn't even your husband. She was like, how do you know that? That miracle made her run and tell everybody else. You guys, our world is dying for something supernaturally real. And too often, we're telling them what we think about. That's not shocking to them. Too often, we're talking about what we're learning about. That is not interesting to them. But when you can demonstrate to them that God is active and alive among them, it's really hard to ignore, right? Amen. You see, it could be Peter and John coming to the temple and saying, silver or gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and that guy walks into church and everybody freaks out, right? And it's story after story. Do you realize the new church grand opening hit with Pentecost so that everybody saw it and they came out and Peter began to preach a message and tons of people got saved. This is power evangelism. And here's what's super great about it. You always have a miracle in your back pocket when you're kind of freaking out that you can't do this stuff. You always have one in your back pocket. And you know what it is? Your testimony. Here's why. When Saul of Tarsus, who used to kill Christians, became Paul the Apostle, he would walk into synagogues and they would say, if that dude changed, anything can happen. His testimony was the only miracle they ever needed to see. And they began to get changed. 
Listen, I'm telling you to walk in the supernatural. I'm telling you to live a supernatural life. But I'm telling you, your testimony is also supernatural. And you go, no, 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 that's just a story. Oh, you think you can do it alone. There is no way you have become the Christian you are today without the Holy Spirit's presence. And everybody else can see it too. Here are three ways, write these down. There are three ways to engage with supernatural power evangelism. Three ways. Number one, abiding. Abiding. You must never separate the gift from the giver. We are not interested in you doing flash. We are not interested in you trying to harness some power. We are interested in you engaging with your God. Everything has to flow from him. You don't have any power. God has all the power. You're never commanding God. You're commanding in God's name. And so the more intimate you are with God, the more he can flow freely through you. So abiding is number one. Number two is developing your spiritual gifts. We need to figure out how we were designed and made so we can live into that reality. There's some miracles that are going to come much easier to you than they will to me. And vice versa. Please do not compare. Oh, well, how come they're doing that? How come they're doing that? Who cares what they're doing? I'm talking about you, right? So number three, discovery through prayer. Discovery through prayer. Sometimes you just need to pray for people and let God show you new stuff. I'm talking about you never even realized people could be healed until you prayed for someone and they got healed and it wrecked your world. You know what this stuff would look like today, power evangelism? It looks like this. You're praying over your coworker because they have a migraine. It's laying hands on the person with crutches at Starbucks because you guys struck up a conversation. It's sharing a word from the Lord with a friend. These are supernatural divine appointments with a spiritual reality. Well, I feel like that stuff's normal. It's not normal. You're not normal. And you shouldn't be. Let's close it out. We are walking road signs. I need you to turn on the light so people can start seeing stuff, right? I'm talking about walking into places that are uncomfortable. I'm talking about walking into risk. You know what our boundaries should always be? Because I don't know how many of you ever come from where things get wacky for no reason. Here's the boundaries, you ready? The boundaries are love. Your love for God and your love for people should be both your motivation and your boundary at all times. The minute things get unloving, we're no longer operating in the power of Jesus. But I'll tell you this, there's a lot of crazy room to move. May we be the people God designed us to be. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as I close? Heavenly Father, we praise your name. You are the God of all things. You're the one that determines the times and the seasons. You're the God that determines whether a miracle happens or not. You're the one that tells us where to go and how to do it. Lord, we submit to you now as a congregation, and we ask for your blessing. We ask for your anointing. We ask for the filling once again of your presence, Holy Spirit, that we might be empowered to live supernaturally every day. That God, if someone needs a hug, we want to give them a hug. If someone needs a miracle, we want to give them a miracle. 
So Lord, we are submitting to you and asking that you would lift up our eyes to looking through the world in a different lens. And we ask God that all things be done that would glorify you and your kingdom would expand. In Jesus' name, amen.